morning. We certainly thank you for being here today. I would invite you to find the book of Ecclesiastes in our last little bit of time we have together this morning. I want to finish a a sermon in a sense, a kind of a series of sermons that we have been working through. We have been thematically working through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found in the Old Testament all the way back uh, around the book of Proverbs, right before the book of Song of Solomon. And we have been working through this book kind of thematically through the text and, and studying various portions of this book. But over the last couple of weeks, three weeks or so, we have been kind of doing a mini-series looking at the issue of the will of God. What is the will of God for my life? How do I determine the will of God for my life? This morning, I want to kind of finish the over, the, the kind of overriding principles on the will of God. And before I move on and forget to say this, on the Sunday night in April, when we meet, I will be talking specifically about how do I discern God's direction in my life in matters where God has not given me a specific commandment. So we will be dealing with that on the Sunday night, April the 11th, uh, and and next month. And so let me invite you to, to be there for that discussion. But today we are finishing up chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes and these last two verses. Last week we looked at, believe it or not, we looked at two words last week. And we spent a considerable amount of time talking about those two words and developing them. And today, I want to finish what Solomon tells us as he's bringing this book to the end. He brings us to his ultimate conclusion. Now, maybe you're here for the first time this morning and you haven't been keeping up with our study. You're not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes. You haven't been here as we have worked through some of these texts. Let me just briefly summarize for you what Ecclesiastes is telling us. As you likely know, Solomon was the son of David. He was, at this period of time, he was arguably, uh, historians tell us, he was arguably the richest man that has ever lived. He was a wealthy man. He was a king. He was a very powerful man. He was a very influential man. He was also someone who was known to be a person of great wisdom. And when you think about the life of Solomon, he had something available to him that most of us don't have. And that is, he had the money, he had the opportunity, he had the position, and he had in his own human ability, in his mind, the wisdom to go out into this world and try every possible means to find, to discover meaning and purpose in life. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, as I understand it, he is writing later in his life, and he is writing, looking back over his life, and saying something like this, I tried pleasure, I tried knowledge, I tried human wisdom, I tried possessions, I tried all of these different avenues of life, and Solomon came to the same conclusion again and again and again. Very simply, he said, it was all vanity. And that word, vanity, comes from the Hebrew word hebel, which simply means wind. It is like chasing after a puff of air. It was something that was escaping him. Every time he tried to find purpose and meaning in something under the sun, he found that he was just chasing after the wind. He couldn't catch it. He couldn't find sort of this peace within his soul. Well, that brings us to the very end of this book. And that's why Solomon says in verse 13, he says, now after everything that we have discussed, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. 
Like a good writer, he brings all of his discussions to a close. And by the way, under the inspiration of God, he brings all of these discussions to a close. And he says, the end of the matter is this, after everything has been heard, fear God. Those are the two words we looked at last week. That I in my life as a believer, if I know Christ as my Savior, my job, if you will, my responsibility is to fear God, to stand in absolute overwhelming all of an almighty creator and amazing and wonderful unparalleled God. I am to stand in fear of him in a proper sense of fear. Unbelievers don't have this opportunity. They stand in fear because they are going to face God's eternal judgment. But notice where Solomon goes on. He says, he says, not only do we fear God, we have a second responsibility, and that is we are to keep his commandments. Why? Because this is the whole duty of man. This is your responsibility. This is our human responsibility that God has given to us. He gives us, and we'll talk about this briefly in a moment, he also gives us another reason why we fear God and keep his commandments. Not only is it our duty as a man, it is also because God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether it is good or evil, that we know, unlike humans, that we judge people based on what we see. We make assessments about them by their external appearance, or we make judgments on them by what we can see with our physical eyes. And Solomon makes it very clear that God is not only going to hold us, up account, hold us accountable for what humans can see and what is on the outside. He's going to hold us accountable for every secret thing, those things that are residing in our sinful hearts. And so as we think about this, I want us to understand the challenge that we face today in 2021 as a church, as a believer who believes, I believe wholeheartedly, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable in how I live my life. In case you are not keeping score in our culture, that is not a popular opinion today. In fact, when we read words like this, that you are to fear God and keep His commandments, our culture lives under kind of this presupposition, fear nobody and live under your own set of commandments. Whatever you decide to be right for you, whatever you decide to fit your needs or to fit your own ideology. Now, a number of years ago, this is not a new concept here in our culture, but the idea of postmodernism entered into our culture a number of years ago. And under postmodernism, it was very simply this ideology that there is truth defined by me. And your truth defined by you might be different, and that is okay. What was untenable, by the way, they believed, and even today, people believe there are no absolutes. And they believe it absolutely, which is very interesting to me. But the minute that you say to someone, you want to have a great party conversation with someone and just have a very good open conversation, say in a public place that I believe that God's eternal word is true for all people in all places of all times, and it is absolutely true. Your popularity is probably going to go down significantly. 
And not only will your popularity go down, they might think all kinds of horrible things about you because you have the nerve to claim that God has, as the creator of this universe, has the right to command you to live in a particular way. And that's true for people in the United States of America. Those truths are true for people in Brazil. Those truths are true for Haitians that was mentioned. It doesn't matter nation or where someone is from. God's commandments are true for all people in all places in all times. So here's my question this morning. Is the idea of absolute truth simply a relic of the past, as our, as our culture argues? Something to reject? To outgrow? To just put aside? Because that's certainly ideology that was true 2,000 years ago, but certainly that's not true in the enlightened age of 2021. Is it? Absolutely it is. God's truth does not change. It is absolutely essential that we as a church, that we as Christians stand unapologetically on the doctrine of absolute truth. It is true for all people in all places and all times. Now, just to kind of think this through a little bit, we're going to talk about sort of one aspect of God's will. But oftentimes when you hear a discussion about God's will, it's often like God has drawn a little tiny dot in the cosmos. And your job as a believer is to maneuver through all of the fog of humanity and find this one little dot that you're supposed to stand on. And one little mistake, one wrong decision, and you're off that dot, well, you're just relocated out into the pasture somewhere, and God's going to put you on the proverbial shelf, and you're out of luck. Well, as we'll talk in April about how we discern what God's direction is for my life, when we're talking about God's will, when I'm talking about God's will today, I'm not talking primarily about who you marry, what college you go to, what you major in. I'm not talking about that aspect of it. We will talk about that in more detail again later. I am talking today about God's will as it is given to us through his clear commandments. That is why Solomon tells us that the whole duty of mankind isn't to pursue pleasure at any cost. It isn't to pursue, pursue fame and fortune at any cost. It isn't to pursue possessions at any cost. Our whole duty is to fear God and keep his commandments, to live within the boundaries that God has set before us. Now, think with me for a moment. Think about how these two truths are connected. These two commandments are connected. Fear God and keep his commandments. Listen to Psalm 112 verse 1. The psalmist said this, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. You're probably maybe more familiar with 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, where John says this, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now, here's an objection maybe you're thinking this morning. You may be thinking along these lines. Well, Pastor Jay, you know what? That's great. But let me remind you, Jay, that we are no longer bound to the Old Testament law. We are free in Christ. We don't have any 
kind of law that we are to submit to. Christ fulfilled all of that. I agree with part of that thinking. I agree that Jesus did, in fact, fulfill all of the Old Testament law. I agree that we are not bound by the Old Testament law. I agree that the sacrificial system instituted under the Mosaic law has been fulfilled. I agree with that. Here's my disagreement, however, is that as New Testament believers, we are bound by what the Apostle Paul calls in in Galatians chapter 6, he calls it the law of Christ. So freedom in Christ isn't this freedom to go live however I choose and to live life on my own terms and to, in some regard, buy into the postmodern ideology that I can just make up my own truth. No, we have to understand that the New Testament believer is still under and bound and expected to obey, live under the authority of the law of Christ. What is that? I'm glad you asked. The law of Christ is found throughout the New Testament, but some areas, particularly, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, we find the teachings and principles and commandments given to us directly by the Lord Himself. You are bound by that. And if you're keeping score, we know that all of the Ten Commandments were, in fact, reinstituted by Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, save for keep the Sabbath. That was the only one that was, in a sense, part of that Old Testament legal system that we are not bound to. But all of the others, each and every one of them, actually, Jesus did what Solomon highlights. He didn't focus on the external aspect of that law. He focused on the heart of that law. And to understand that as believers, we are to keep the law of Christ. We are to obey the law of Christ, not just in our external behavior, but in our inward disposition, how we live before God. Now, we understand that the concept of eternal, unchanging, absolute truth is often an untenable assertion in our culture. There is more opinion today that we hear and we talk about far more than objective truth. In fact, the vast majority of our newscasts are less interested in the facts of a story than they are interested in creating drama and creating, creating uh, fear in the hearts and lives of people. We are a culture that has been reduced to carefully crafted and carefully manipulated and carefully edited news bites that most people just aren't interested in doing the hard work of finding out what really is the truth. It's kind of like a parent who listens to their kids and the child begins to say, Daddy, you won't believe what so-and-so did to me on the playground. And all you hear is your child's perspective. Here's a parenting rule that the Knowles household holds to. I believe nothing that comes out of your little mouth. Nothing. Because when you say, Johnny did to me this on the playground, my first question to you is, and what did you do? Because my guess is, you are not little Mr. or Miss Innocent. But that's not popular. We defend. We just want to hear the soundbite. We want to hear the opinion. By the way, we really want the opinion that we happen to already believe. Now, you may be familiar with a relatively famous person in our culture by the name of Oprah Winfrey. You probably have heard of her, I would guess. 
And if you remember back in 2018, when she actually received an achievement reward at the Golden Globes uh, ceremony, Oprah Winfrey is famously quoted as saying this. She said, what I know for sure is that speaking, listen to this, your truth, your truth is the most powerful tool we have. Now, wait a minute. As believers, is that our responsibility to simply go out and speak our truth? Our responsibility is not to proclaim our truth of what I want it to be, hope it was, wish it was. It is to proclaim God's truth, popular or not. You hear this all the time, right? Well, don't you want to be on the right side of history? Uh not really interested in that. Don't really think about that. Am I really worried about what a biased historian would ever say about the church? Am I really worried about what an opinionated commentator on some newscast cares about what we're doing? Isn't it better to be on the right side of what God said? And there are times in our day and age in which God's clear commandments in Scripture run contrary to the popular opinions of our culture. In 2016, actually a few year, couple of years just before Oprah Winfrey's comment, I came across an article that was written by the BBC. And I want you to listen to this. The BBC said this, dated November 16, 2016. I'm quoting here. Oxford Dictionaries has declared post-truth, post-truth, after truth, post-truth, no more truth, post-truth as its 2016 International Word of the Year, reflecting what it called a highly charged political 12 months. So talking about the politics in America and talking about the politics in Great Britain as well. It is defined as an adjective. Listen to this. This is the word of the year, international word of the year, post-truth. It is defined as an adjective relating to circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than emotional appeals. Did you get that? What matters more to us is the emotional appeal of a story or an emotional appeal of someone's definition of truth than actual truth. How many of you would go to a physician and he said, well, you know what, I don't really run any kind of medical tests. I just kind of go with what I feel. And when I look at you, you know, I feel like maybe you need to, you know, have a kidney removed like our brother did here. Oh, okay. I I don't know about you, but before they start throwing body parts in the garbage can, I would like to objectively know if that is necessary, wouldn't you? Oh, no, our culture doesn't care about objective truth, objective facts. We are far more driven by emotion and feeling and what we desperately want to be true. Now think about this for a moment. By the way, we're still talking about those couple of very simple words. Keep God's commandments. God's commandments. Not the culture's opinions about what ought to be true. Not the culture's emotions about what ought to be true. Fearing God's commandments. Now let's understand this. The goal of this post-truth world in which we live is very clear to see. 
Do away with God. Many of you remember the Time Magazine article, right? God is dead and man killed him. That, that mantra hasn't changed a whole lot in the last few decades. The post-truth world simply wants to do away with God, do away with the idea of objective truth. Why? Because then you are free to do whatever you want to do and live by your own terms. Here's my question. How's that working out for us? I mean, think about the number of amusements, for instance, that our culture has access to. I don't know what your empirical evidence tells you, but it tells me in the articles that I read, the people that I talk to, the books that I'm exposed to, what it tells me is all of these amusements, as they have increased, our amount of joy has actually declined and done so very rapidly. How's post-truth working out for us as a culture, as a country? You may be following, I don't follow, this is probably heresy in North Carolina, but I don't actually follow basketball. I don't follow the NCAA tournament. I don't really follow that at all. But I have been following the Oral Roberts issue. And if you're not familiar with that, this is a college basketball team that made it all the way. They made, I don't know if they're in or out. I don't know if they lost or won recently. I don't know. But I do know is that they made it all the way to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA basketball March Madness tournament and let the outrage begin. They have no right being in that tournament, according to our culture. They have no place playing basketball on a public stage because their school has a moral code of conduct. Because their school has a moral code of conduct that reflects God's commandments. Who would think? No place for you. And of course, if you read the articles about it, it's always interesting how they are edited down to make this institution, I'm not defending the institution as in a sense of their theology, I'm not doing that. I'm just simply saying that from a moral perspective, their handbook has been parroted down and edited by all kinds of USA Today to writers and all these folks that are piecing it together to make this look like a horrible place to be. Folks, we have to understand as we go on in our culture, we have to think through Are we going to cave? Are we going to simply say that, you know what, God's morality, it's probably not really worth fighting over. And as you can probably guess, the biggest issue for Oral Roberts University is the fact they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what all the hot water is about. So we have to think through here in our culture, are we going to hold true to the commandments of God live by them, or are we not? And we think through here just very quickly Solomon's couple of reasons why he gives this commandment. He says, this is the whole duty of man. This is what we are expected to do. And this isn't just Solomon's idea. It was also the ideology of Jesus himself in Matthew 6.33 when he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Apostle Paul said it this way, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
That God's commandments are not grievous. They are not a burden for us to bear. They are a responsibility that God has given to us as believers. And Solomon also ends this text by reminding us that God will judge us. And as believers, we know that we are resting in our eternal salvation that we have in Christ. And we certainly take confidence in that. But we also understand that we are accountable to God and we must live a life in which we are living obediently to Him. Now that leads me to this question. Why is it that we, even as Christians become very lackadaisical when it comes to fearing God and keeping His commandments? Why are we at times delinquent in these two, in a sense, very basic commandments? This is the whole duty of man, and within fearing God and within obeying His commandments, there is a tremendous amount of, in a sense, freedom where we have the opportunity to make choices. Who do I marry? Where do I go to college? Come back in April. We'll talk about that. But how then, why then is it that it seems that even within the church, there is a decline in the interest of fearing God and keeping his commandments? Let me offer in closing just a a few brief suggestions as to maybe why. First, I do believe, I fear that we take God and his word casually. How many, some of you, some of you, this is your first time here, and again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us this morning. But some of you, most of you, this is not your first time here. Some of you have been here a long time. Some of you have been here longer than I've been here. In the 10 years that I've been here in this ministry, in one, in one avenue or another, one position or another, I probably have never said anything that you walked out of here saying, wow, I never heard that before. And by the way, usually if, if you've been a believer a long time and I say something like, man, I never would have got that out of that text, it's because it's probably not there. Okay, what I'm telling you is not new to you. It's not a shock to you. You're not blown away by this great, wonderful, brand new truth that you've never heard. You've heard it before. You know it. And I fear, particularly sometimes looking around the room, we have college Uh, Christian college graduates, we have kids in our Christian school here this morning, that sometimes we are hyper exposed to God's word that we just, eh, kind of lose taste for it, you know? Yeah, I know they're God's commandments, but you know, he doesn't, he understands we live in a really messed up culture. It's not a big deal. Apparently it is a big deal. Fear God and keep his commandments. He doesn't say, this is something you kind of ought to sort of kind of do. This is the whole duty of man. It's not to be taken casually. That's why, as I argued last week, the word fear, the English word fear, is so appropriate. When we think about a holy, righteous God, that every time, every time, I was telling somebody this week, even when it comes to people in the scriptures that saw an angel, not even seeing God, they saw an angel, they fell on their face. In holy reverence and overcome by the majesty. And that's of an angel. And somebody says, yeah, I saw an angel. It was a really cool experience. You didn't see an angel. I was telling somebody this week, the same person. They were saying, well, you know, angels, you know, it's these 
pretty women with big fluffy wings and all this stuff. And man, read through scripture. I had a guy in Vermont when I was pastoring there. He was a new believer. We're talking through angels and some of the activities. He goes, man, these are some bad dudes, man. They will take you out. We clean it up. God isn't to be just taken casually. It's to be taking him and his commandments fearfully with respect and honor. Sometimes we simply refuse accountability. We don't want accountability to any person. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want, we don't want parents in our lives telling us what to do. We don't want bosses in our lives telling us what to do. We don't want the police officers in our community telling us what to do. We just want to do what we want to do. But more importantly, we don't want God's authority either. I've heard people say, what right does God have to tell me how to live my life? He's got every right to tell you how to live your life. He's your creator. That's why Solomon says in chapter 12, verse 1, and when he says, remember your creator. Understand who he is. And sometimes we do not take fear God and keep his commandments seriously simply because God is really not in our daily thinking. Solomon, in his own life, tried to find meaning and and purpose all over the place, and he failed miserably. And when God isn't in my daily life, he's not a part of my daily thinking, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble of disobedience. I'm in trouble because I am not living in respect and reverence and fear of God. Sometimes we don't fear God and keep his commandments simply because we selfishly want what we want, and we want to do things according to our own way. But finally, I would suggest that one of the reasons we don't fear God and keep his commandments is because we fear the wrong thing. Oh, we fear plenty. But what we fear is what Proverbs says not to fear. The fear of man, Proverbs says, is a snare to man. We fear men. We fear rejection. We fear being made fun of. We fear being disliked. We fear being accused of being hateful. I understand all people, all people, all people are created in the image of God and should be treated with dignity and should be treated with respect and should be treated with honor. Agreed. But that does not mean that we don't speak the truths of what God's word teaches and how people created in the image of God are to live. We can't live in fear. We can't live fearing men. You know, I was thinking, I went, my only exposure to Christian education was seminary. I never, I didn't go to Christian school. I didn't go to a Christian college. And I remember growing up in in public school and going through uh, public university. And then my wife went on for her PhD at a public university, and, and I just remember having conversations with, with faculty members, particularly when my wife was in grad school. And I can remember sitting at one particular lady's dining room table one night, and we were having, and she was liberal, did not, everything I just said, she wouldn't believe for a second. Doesn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. She didn't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. She didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. She didn't believe in the virgin birth. She believed in none of that. 
But I can remember having these open conversations with her. And at the end of the conversation, she would look at me and she'd say, wow, I don't believe that, but that's really interesting. I respect you for your, your faith. I'm not sure in today's culture, I don't readily get that reaction anymore. What I get is, how dare you? How dare you say that all people in all places for all times are to submit themselves to God's commandments? How arrogant. How narrow-minded. How foolish. How many of you like being treated that way? None of us do. But here's the question. Are you going to fulfill the whole duty of man and fear God and keep his commandments? Or are you just going to try to live life on your own terms, outside of the boundaries of Scripture? And when we do, we learn exactly what Solomon learned. It's chasing the wind. It's not where purpose is found. It's not where joy is found. It is found within the boundaries that Almighty God has given to us. And the verse of Scripture that I leave you with today came to my mind this morning. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. If we are going to stand for God's truth in this culture, if we are going to stand for His unchanging commandments, you must be steadfast in Christ and fear God and keep His commandments because this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to share these thoughts and these truths from your word today. Lord, may we be believers that don't shy away from the truth, but also be people that speak the truth each and every time in love. Love that is bathed in compassion and long-suffering and mercy. And Lord, I pray that as we are called to this generation that you have placed us in, there's always been sin, there's always been rejection of truth, there's always been even hostility toward believers. None of that is new, none of that. But Lord, it does seem our culture is, is increasingly antagonistic toward your word, toward your church. But may we never turn and run in fear, but continue to be salt and light in this world for the simple reason that we fear you. We stand in reverential awe of you, and we want to keep your commandments and to please you more than to appease men. Strengthen us for it. Give us the steadfastness of Christ that we need, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, and we hope to see you soon. God bless. Have a good day.